Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we are even more grateful that you're a part of our community day in and day out. Before we finish up our Old Creed New World series today, I wanted to keep a few things in front of you this week in the life of our community. First of all, right now seems to be a time of transition. Here in South Bend, it seems like we're turning from spring to summer already. We've got students that just graduated high school and college. And as a community, we're in the transition of transitioning from our space at Studebaker 112 to our new home, the Tribune. Now, if you don't know much about the Tribune Project, you can head to thetribuneproject.com. It's in the show notes below and learn more about the project, our new home and our dreams and hopes for what it can be for the city of South Bend. And that truly is our hope for our new space downtown, that South Bend City Church downtown would be a safe space for all the people of South Bend and would serve South Bend as a whole. So we're going to take some time this week to pray for our building, pray for our community, vision and dream and hope for the ways in which we can show up for South Bend. And we're also going to take some time to have a short gathering. Now, we would love to see all of you there. However, it's not safe for kids. So if you've got children from birth through second grade, we have child care available at Studebaker 112. So you can take them there before you come over to the Tribune. And we'll make sure to have some loving adults be there to hang out with them while we're over at the Tribune. If you've got kids third grade and above, they're welcome to join us, but please keep an eye on your kids. Also, we wanted to let you know that while the entire building doesn't currently live up to our accessibility standards, something that we're super excited to make happen in the renovation process, there is a ramp into the main level of the building, so it is accessible if that's something that you're looking for. Also, if you're wondering about parking, figure it out. I'm just kidding. Uh, There's a couple different options for parking. First of all, there's a parking garage on the corner of Colfax and Main. There's about 500 spots there, and it's free up to two hours. And then there's also about 70 spots on the street around our building. We would love to see you there and hope you can make it. Also, a few more events that we're super excited about coming up in June. We really want to create safe spaces for our LGBTQ community members. So we're going to be taking time during two different events to do so. The first is June 13th at 7 p.m. at Studebaker 112. This is a night where we're inviting anyone looking to learn more about how to be an ally or advocate for LGBTQ people. We'll hear from a panel of LGBTQ people and allies in the South Bend City Church family, and you'll have a chance to submit questions for them. Now, one quick note, if you're looking for help to sort through questions surrounding the Bible and theology related to LGBTQ identity and inclusion, we encourage you to explore the resources listed in the show notes below. These are two sermons that have been done in the life of our community that speak to these issues. While those are really important questions, this night is specifically intended for other types of questions, personal and relational, that come from walking with LGBTQ people well and learning how to love well. And then on Tuesday, June 27th, we're hosting a table night for the SBCC community members that identify as LGBT or Q. This is just like all of our other tables and is intended to be a safe space for all of our LGBTQ community members here at South Bend City Church to connect with one another. If you're planning on coming to the table or the panel night, we need to know how many people to expect. So just hop into the show notes below to register for the panel night or RSVP to the table. All right, one more quick announcement. As always, if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, you can always give. Go to the show notes below or southbendcitychurch.com slash give, and you can give in that way. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do, and we're so thankful for that day in and day out. All right, like I said about five minutes ago, we're in our final week of Old Creed New World. 
And this week we came to the final amen after reflecting on the story the creed tells and the joy of finding our place in it. This episode and our gatherings this weekend included teaching, reflections, prayers, and songs. We're so thankful that you chose to join us, and we hope that this is a meaningful and beautiful time for you. Let's join in with the rest of our community now.
for singing. Go ahead and grab a seat. Amen. Hey, I'm Jason. Um, if we haven't met, you may not know this about me. Uh, and if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the gathering. But if you know me, you probably know I really love music and I love live music. And a lot of my friends and I put a lot of time and energy into taking in live music. And often that means concert festivals like Lollapalooza and Coachella, where more and more I realize how old I am. Because uh, like the lineup will come out. And it used to be that I've heard of like half the bands and now I've maybe heard of two of the headliners. But I keep showing up for one reason, because I want to keep like, discovering new music, also because I, I often love what I hear there. However, the thing about a concert festival where you see many bands from many genres over a few days is you start to notice some trends in the music and in your own experience of the music. A few years ago, we were at Lollapalooza, the same group of friends that I've gone to, uh, gone to Lollapalooza with like, for years on end now, and we kind of had this collective realization about how it was that we were experiencing this music. And specifically, we realized there's basically two kinds of concert experiences. There's, there's um, all of these live uh, events of music that we love and felt really like wrapped up in, and then a, a whole bunch of other concerts, live experiences that we didn't love and didn't feel wrapped up in. And the thing was, it wasn't genre that defined which concerts we loved and which we didn't. We like, found across the entire spectrum of genres at these festivals, which, by the way, they cover a pretty wide gamut. Hip-hop, rock, indie, shoegazer, punk, all this stuff. Like, all these different genres, and we found there were bands like, in every genre that we really enjoyed, and then bands that we didn't. So it wasn't genre, and it wasn't like whether the band was big and famous or small and unheard of. That didn't really make a difference for our experience. It wasn't a question of whether it was a big stage or a small stage or a big crowd or a small crowd or whether the concert was early in the day during the daylight or late at night when the lights were dark or the, you know, the sky was dark and the, the concert lights worked. None of those things made a difference. What we realized was there's two kinds of bands that create two different kinds of experiences. There's the kind of band who you can just tell from their energy and their, their poise, the things they do and the way they do them on stage. There's bands where you can just tell they seem to think that you, as the listener, are privileged to get to experience their performance. For them, everything important or interesting is happening on stage with them. And everything else like, serves that purpose. These are the bands where like, they either don't engage the crowd very much, or when they do, it's because they demand that the crowd like, pay homage to them. Like, you know the whole, I need to see every hand in the air? Like, every time they, I need to see every hand, I'm kind of like, why? Like, and should you see a therapist about that? Because that seems like a very strange need, right? Like, work that out, but not here, you know? And then there's the other kind. Bands who, in their spirit, their posture, the things they say and do, seem to communicate, like, we are all a part of this. Like, we are creating this moment together. Perhaps even we as a band are incomplete without you, and that what we are here to create relies on you. Like, we're all a part of this. And the thing that crystallized our awareness of how it is that every kind of genre, when bands do that, it's, it's uplifting. You might even call it sacred. And when bands don't, it's not. The thing that crystallized it for us was the way that a band called 21 Pilots ended their, their headline show when you're at Lollapalooza. If you don't know 21 Pilots, um, like really fun, like really high-octane performance. Uh, and they ended their big headline set with this phrase that, from what I understand, they end every concert this way. And it was simply this. At the end of this big, bombastic show in front of 40,000 people with all the pyro and special effects, they say this. They say, thank you. We are 21 pilots, and so are you. You feel that? Like, that crystallized it for us. Like, that, that's the difference. There are bands who say, like, what this is 
is all of us. What we are creating is all of us. And then there are like the bands that don't have that energy. And when they do have that energy, you feel the power of it, the joy of it. The, you might even say the sacredness or the holiness of what's happening in our midst. Now, I put that in front of you because of uh, where we're at today as we wrap up the Apostles' Creed. And there's a word that I want to dive into. Um, if you listen to English speakers in the modern world and you know languages a little bit, it might stand out to you, if, if you're kind of thinking about it, that there's, like, there's a word that we use frequently in English that comes from thousands of years ago. It shows up in several of the Semitic branch languages of the Afro-Asiatic like, like language area from thousands of years ago. There's a word that hasn't been uh, adapted, really. It hasn't been translated. It hasn't been morphed into our like, modern English parlance. It actually just travels with us through the millennia in its basic original form. Uh, it's a word that you'll hear uh, in individual settings and in common settings. You'll see it in literature. It'll be spoken at meals. It's this word. Amen. And it's the final word of the creed. And I don't want to miss this. Uh, for thousands of years, humans have been carrying this forward with us as a way of saying, like, I trust this, I believe this, I affirm this, I hope for this, I want this, and maybe even to say, I'm a part of whatever has just happened, whatever has been said, whatever has been done, has been done. whether it's a prayer that has ended or a something that you believe, that you affirm. Um, it's interesting, uh, linguists uh, have come up with this idea of uh, iconicity, which is like icon in language, iconicity, which is um, that sometimes humans associate the very sound of a word with its meaning, which is perhaps why a word like amen has been brought forward without it being uh, adapted or adjusted, because there's something when the ear hears that word um, that does something for us that feels like agreement, belief, trust, belonging, participation even, right? Uh, don't miss that that's the final word in the creed. Thinking about this, I think about my black friends who attend South and City Church, who like, they threaten to bring the amen sometimes, you know? And I don't think of it as a threat as much as a blessing. I'm like, please, because this white crowd is driving me crazy sometimes. <laughs> when you feel like you're saying something powerful and like it's just crickets. So uh, I know that like in black church experience, amen is one of many ways that black church is participatory, not a spectator sport, right? It's a way of saying we're all a part of this together. Yes, right? Yeah. Amen. amen. Thank you. Yeah. And there it is 30 times in the Hebrew Bible, many times in the Greek New Testament. And here in modern English, us saying amen, participation, agreement, response, belonging, all of us. Uh, that the things we say together are for all of us. And today, like, really my, my hope, my goal is to get us to that amen as we wrap up this creed series. Uh, today's going to be a little different. Uh, we're not going to do, like, one big teaching block, uh, not one big sermon. Um, but rather, I, I want to just have a chance for us to remember what it is that we are saying amen to. And God knows that it's been a long time since, since September when we started this series. It began hearing the words of the creed. And so rather than one long sermon uh, today, we're going to move through the creed again and just hear again as a community what it is that the creed invites us to affirm, and better yet, what it is that the creed says we are a part of, the story that we're being drawn into. Um, so that when we get to that amen, it, it's an invitation for a community of people who say, yeah, I think I'm actually a part of that story. I give my heart to this understanding of reality. I, I root my trust in this particular picture of, of God and of humanity and of creation 
and of the invitation for us to be a part of God's life in all of it. That being said, uh, we began um, way back in September with these uh, beginning words of the creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe. We carry this story together. This is not a, a, a litmus test for the individual intellectual furniture that's stacked in your head. Rather, we together are becoming the community that trusts this story. Belief, uh, not just a category for the cognitive work of the mind, although it includes that, uh, but the work of the whole self to trust and to root one's life and love in this story. And then as soon as the creed names God, the creed names God as Father, and we worked out together the complicated nature of that, whether it's the ways that father language for God has justified a patriarchy or whether it's that father is complicated for you, but we also observed how radical and beautiful it is that the first thing the creed says about God, the first chance that the creed has to describe the nature of God, it describes God relationally. Not as some abstract concept, but as a, a relational presence or life that relates to creation and to you and to me and to neighbors and enemies with love, uh, with concern, with desires for our own liberation and freedom. And that this God who relates to creation as Father has intended all this goodness and beauty. We made the case that uh, to call God creator may not be meant to serve as a stance in a culture war against what a lot of us around here take to be a beautiful discovery from our brothers and sisters in science that the way that God did all this creating is through these strange and miraculous processes that we call evolution, that creation isn't meant perhaps to refute that, but rather to celebrate that in all of that, God, this loving mystery at the heart of everything is intending all of this beauty. And by the way, that includes you you are not an accident. You're not simply here. You are intended by God to be here. So we'll take a moment. Uh, we'll return to a reading uh, from the poet Mary Oliver that we heard way back in the fall when we reflected on this moment in the creed. Uh, and we'll let that reading and some music help us uh, to remember what it is that we are saying when we say we believe in God the Father. I don't know who God is exactly, but I'll tell you this. I was sitting in the river named Clarion on a water splashed stone, and all afternoon I listened to the voices of the river talking. Whenever the water struck a stone, it had something to say, and the water itself, and even the mosses trailing under the water. And slowly, very slowly, it became clear to me what they were saying. Said the river, I am part of holiness, and I too, said the stone, and I too, whispered the moss beneath the water. Said the river, imagine everything you can imagine, then keep on going. Imagine how the lily, who may also be a part of God, would sing to you if it could sing, if you would pause to hear it. And how are you so certain anyway that it doesn't sing? If God exists, he isn't just churches and mathematics. He's the forest, he's the desert, he's the ice caps that are dying. He's the ghetto and the museum of fine arts. He's Van Gogh and Allen Ginsberg and Robert Motherwell. He's every one of us, potentially. The leaf of grass, the genius, the politician, the poet. And if this is true, 
Isn't it something very important? Yes, it could be that I am a tiny piece of God and each of you too, or at least of his attention and his hope, which is a delight beyond measure. And still, pressed deep into my mind, the river keeps coming, touching me, passing by on its long journey, its pale, infallible voice singing.
Then the creed observes a movement that we might not have expected. And it's a movement that can be challenging for a lot of us, which is it takes this expansive vision of a creator, of a, a mystery at the heart of reality that lends being and life to all things, that expansive mystery, and then it locates that mystery in the particularity of a body in a place and time uh, named Jesus. The creed says it like this. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, we said many times here, and we'll keep saying that we uh, love and honor the fact that we have a community of believers and doubters and everybody who's a bit of both. And I know that for some, it can be the particularity of what Christian faith says about Jesus where uh, that wrestling really comes in. And I hope you hear our heart in um, respecting and understanding that experience that so many of us 
have wrestled with here and continue to. Uh, but we've also observed, uh, like we did earlier in the creed, um, that there's a virtue in particularity. That there's something to be said for all that expansive mystery to be met in particular flesh and blood. We quoted Houston Smith who says, if you're thirsty, it's better to have one well 60 feet deep than 10 wells six feet deep. To locate in a particular body and life the life of God that we are looking for, you and me. And that's precisely what this story has done, to say that there in Christ we see that presence of God, we see that love, that we see it in him teaching and comforting and healing. We see it in him confronting and disrupting. We see it in him laying his life down and in that life being raised back up in power. Now, many have observed that um, there's a conundrum in the way the creed narrates faith because the creed doesn't use a particular word anywhere. The word it's missing is the word love. And it's true that the letters L-O-V-E don't appear anywhere in the creed. Uh, but you might argue, you might discover that the reason for that is the creed has another name for love and the name is Jesus. That this way of thinking about the mystery of all things isn't interested in things remaining abstract. It's interested in things taking on the particularity of flesh and blood. And even love can become an abstract concept um, that divorces itself from bodies and lives. And this story doesn't do that. This story locates love and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus uh, so that we would see the mystery of God revealed in flesh and blood. Now, I told you a few minutes ago that our movement today is to get to that amen at the end of the creed, of that moment of saying, this is all of us together. And there's an interesting reflection on Jesus and amen in a letter in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. Um, the author of this letter has been wrestling with a couple of really big questions in his own life and experience of God and, and his work. One of the big questions he's wrestled with is um, how it is that God has or hasn't been faithful to God's own promises. Like, has God lived up to who God said God would be? That's a big question for this author. And it turns out for that author, uh, the answer to that question is yes, because what I've discovered in Jesus is a, a showing of God's own life that lives up to those promises. This author is also, by the way, wondering about how it is that we can belong to each other in light of that. And that's the other big question that drives his work in the New Testament. Uh, we'll say more about that in a bit. But here in 2 Corinthians, as he's reflecting on whether God is who God said God was uh, and what this author has met in Jesus, this author says this. And the language a little, is a little bit mysterious and interesting, but just see if it moves you or if it does anything in you here when you, when you hear these words. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no. He wasn't fickle. He wasn't divided in his own commitment. But in him, it is always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is a yes for this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. Through him, we find a voice for our own amen. And so, um, I don't know how you relate to Jesus as a person. I know that Jesus has been a, made a mascot for all kinds of harmful things. Um, but I hope as a community, we're learning to let Jesus speak for himself about what he actually believed and what he actually did and what he actually meant for us. And perhaps if you have kept your eyes open and paid attention to that Jesus, the one who reveals himself, uh, you have discovered something of love 
in flesh and blood, which is why, at least for many of us, we would want to say we believe, we trust, we give our heart uh, to Jesus. We're going to return to a reading that we actually did during Lent. And the last slide is actually bolded. I ask that when we get to that point that you read along with us. Jesus, ever present to the pain around him, did not escape into the safety of indifference, even in the shadow of the cross. His care for the suffering and his confidence in your liberating ways made him kind, softened him to even the hardest hearts, and kindled in him your love for humanity. Love that appears foolish, love that resists evil, love that makes way for the kingdom. Make it so among us, O God, and lead us in the ways of compassion. Yeah. He is my shelter. 
Four stories in the New Testament written uh, in particular by communities who experienced that friendship with Jesus in the flesh. And then when you go from those four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you turn the page into the book of Acts, you move from that experience to the story of the church. There's kind of a cliffhanger that hangs out there between those gospel stories and the book of Acts. And there's a question driving that cliffhanger. And the question I don't think is just like, theological or theoretical for these people. It's really existential. It's deep and it's personal and it's emotional. 
it, it cuts to the core of them. And really, it, it comes from this, that for three years, they seem to have had this experience with Jesus in friendship, that God was quite seriously with them. That the love and the power and the presence and the healing of God was somehow with them in their experience of Jesus, which means when he leaves them to go to be with the Father in his ascension, the question is, is that it? Are we alone again? Is it really just us now, left to our own devices again? Like, is this it? Uh, and that question is still with us in so many ways, I think, right? I was meeting uh, with my spiritual director on Friday. This is a person... Um, who I have a, a lot of trust and, re, and respect for. Um, uh, somebody who's lived a lot more life than me um, and who has gone deeply into his own life with God. And we were talking about things that are none of your business. And, uh, <laughs> but I will tell you this part of our conversation, as we talked about some things that are none of your business, I, um, I confess to him, I'm like, I, the things we were talking about bring me to a place of really conflicted belief and unbelief. Uh, there, you know, there were questions of, of trusting God. Um, and I told him, I said, on the one hand, I have all these experiences that have reinforced my trust in God and have taught me to do that. And on the other hand, and I kind of broke down, I said, on the other hand, we're not okay. And I was thinking of friends of mine who are struggling and going through really hard things. I was thinking of members of this community who are facing um, life-threatening disease or other illness. I was thinking of um, larger circles of brokenness in the world. I was thinking of violence. I was thinking of guns. I was thinking of politics. And so there I was with my spiritual director feeling some of that same existential angst that I think these followers of Jesus were feeling when you turn that page and you see their experience of, of Jesus leaving them. And then kind of wondering, well, what now? What's next, right? And it's in answer to that question that something happens in the story of the early church. And um, in, a, in a matter of timing that I would like to take credit for, although it's actually just a coincidence, uh, today is the day that the church around the world um, marks this moment in the experience of those early followers of Jesus. Does anybody know what today is? Pentecost. Pentecost, yeah. Pentecost. That's today. Uh, this is on the liturgical calendar. Um, I'll say more about it. it. In some ways, it comes from the Jewish calendar, um, both uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus and then the, this moment in the life of the church. You can kind of graft those onto the underlying Jewish calendar of Passover and the feast that happens 50 days later, which is what Pentecost means, 50 days. Uh, now, in the book of Acts, we, we read the story of what has caused Christians for 2,000 years to celebrate today as Pentecost. Let me show you that story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They being those closest followers of Jesus who are together because they're grieving his loss. Like they've already been through the roller coaster of his death and resurrection. And then after the death and resurrection, he goes to be with the Father in his ascension. And once again, they're left waiting and wondering, like, was that it? And he'd made some promises to them about a different experience of his own presence, but it hasn't happened yet. So there they are, I think kind of sad, pathetic, scared, afraid, lonely, together in one place waiting, when suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now they were, or there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? A little context there. Because of that Jewish festival that I described to you a second ago, Jewish people from all over the ancient world have gathered in Jerusalem for this day, which means people of many different languages and dialects are all there. And it happens to be the case that Jesus' closest friends and followers are all Galilean, so they have their own dialect that they speak. Like, pay attention to this moment. So the Spirit's given to these people. This is the promise that he gave them, that like the life of God that you've experienced in the particularity of Jesus in his body and his life is going to be given away. It's going to be expanded. It's going to be universalized for everyone. God's going to give God's breath to you, God's spirit to you. And these closest friends and followers of Jesus are all kind of huddled in their circle. They're at headquarters in Jerusalem. And the spirit's given to them. The life of God's given to them. But the effect of it, the immediate effect of it is that they speak in a language for everyone. It's almost as if they're there at the center of things in Jerusalem saying, we are the people of God and so are you. We are the friends of Jesus and so are you. We've been promised this gift and so have you. We are all a part of this. This is right there in the heart of like the preaching of the gospel and the birthing of the church, which makes it not just tragic but antichrist. That one of the threads woven into the history of the church is all the ways that it's used its power, privilege, position, that the people at the center of it have used all of that to tell other people you're not a part of this. That you're not good enough for this. That you're not right enough for this. That you're not moral enough for this. That you're not pure enough for this. That you're not white enough for this. That you're not straight enough for this. That you're not, that whatever picture we have for the kind of people who are eligible for this, when in fact the entire movement of the spirit there in Acts 2, is to say this is for everyone. For every kind of person coming from everywhere. This is being given now to everyone. So let me just say plainly, for anybody here who's ever had anybody speaking with any kind of religious authority or power tell you that you aren't a part of this because you're not good enough or pure enough or white enough or straight enough or you don't look enough like the people in power, I'm really, really sorry. Because that doesn't just miss the mark, it runs completely contrary to the movement of this story. Where God, the mystery at the heart of all things, that lends life and being to every good thing, has then lived God's own life in the body of Jesus, only to then give it away. To say that this is for you, whoever you are, to give it away. Note the way the creed speaks of the language of the Spirit here in the last part of it. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but then the impulse of these ancient writers was to note what the Holy Spirit does, which is that it then births a community for everyone. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic here meaning universal, around the world, the church for everyone. The communion of saints, a communion that you and I are brought into. The holy ones are not just the saints of scripture or of ancient church history, they're also you and me. The forgiveness of sins, the ongoing reconciliation that keeps us with God and with one another. The resurrection of the body because God cares about your life enough to care about your body and raise it up and the life everlasting. And then we get to that amen. Now, quick confession. Uh, last week I preached about the resurrection of the body. And I forgot that I was also supposed to preach about the life everlasting. I'm out of Sundays. I don't have any sermon blocks left. <laughs> 
I was sitting at home on Monday. I was reflecting on this series, and I'm like, wow, we're coming to the end of it, you know, and it's been really meaningful, and I'm thinking through, I'm doing this other series in June, and, you know, that's coming around the corner, and we're going to do this whole wrap-up, but first I'm going to preach the life everlasting, and then I was like, wait, isn't this Sunday, May 28th? And I was like, I think I'm out of Sundays. So this is really embarrassing. I don't have time to preach the life everlasting, the last line of the creed, but I have a hack. I have a shortcut. Scripture helps me with this. The life everlasting, sometimes described as eternal life. Uh, Jesus gives us a handle for this in John 17. Jesus is praying to God the Father, and Jesus says this. Now this is eternal life. This is life everlasting, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. One way of working that out is that eternal life isn't exclusively like what happens to you when you die, when the clock stops ticking, but rather it's, it's the very nature of the life that you experience in the here and now as you come to know God. Here Jesus is, is um, emphasizing the, the continuity between the moment you are living in right now with God and the life of the world to come. That if, if you taste anything of life with God right now, anything of the presence of God, anything of the goodness of God, anything of the spirit of God, that, that you are in fact in touch with eternal life. And while I don't have all the metaphysics worked out and I, I don't know a lot about what it would be to even try to describe the experience that it points to in some kind of eternal future, uh, in, in that text, Jesus seems to be saying that um, you are tasting it now. You're, you're given a an experience of that eternal life now in any moment that you know that you are in the presence of God. Um, and then the creed says, amen. Yes. Uh, we wanted to do something to wrap all this up that we haven't done yet uh, in the whole, like all these months that we've been working through the creed. And it's a little um, obvious if you think about it. Most Christian communities around the world throughout history, at least since the 400s uh, AD, have actually like recited this creed together. They've put these words on their lips together and made it a part of their practice each week. And we've not done that for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we, we wanted to like first take time to say, what does this even mean? So it doesn't become some kind of mindless exercise, right? I also wanted a chance to make the case to you that this creed is expansive, that it's, it's liberating and not just constraining, that it's empowering and not just meant to like, put a burden on you that tells you what to think as if you can't have a mind of your own. I've been trying to make that case for months now, so I wanted a chance to do that. I also know that it can feel a little strange to be asked to recite something together. Um, but here's the beauty and the power of a community reciting this creed together. It's a way of saying that this story and, and the power of the life that it describes isn't just for me, it's for you, it's for all of us. I am absolutely certain that if Jesus were here in the flesh today, he would say, I am, I am here in the life of God, and so are you. I am in this story, and so are you. I'm here bringing the healing and the love, the truth and the power of God, and so are you. And so the virtue of, of putting these words on our lips together is to say we are all included in this story. Um, to say we give our hearts, we together are being forged into a family to become a community that is grafted into this story of creator and redeemer and sustainer, of father and son and spirit. And so we thought today it would be quite fitting um, that we actually uh, put these words on our lips together. Um, so we're going to do that. And then when that's done, uh, we've asked Mr. Zach Gillis to turn us into a choir. Um, 
you know, I think there's really profound reasons that singing's always been a part of the life of the church. Um, there are many practices that we can practice together, but there are a few that are quite like singing in the way that it invites every voice and that even as you participate, you receive. Even as you give your voice, you receive the voice of everyone around you. And something beyond the sum of its parts is created when we do something like that. And so uh, we asked Zach if he would turn us into a choir after we recite this creed. And that once again, that that singing would bring us to an amen that we can claim together here. So uh, if you're able, and if you would like to be a part of this moment with the creed, if you'd like to say, I'm a, a part of this family that's learning to trust this story, uh, and if you're able, will you stand to your feet? And we will together um, speak the words of an old creed in a new world, uh, and then we'll stay on our feet, and Zach will help us sing. We say, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay. So I was talking to those that were in a nine o'clock and I was telling them how I was in the back, you know, get myself together. If y'all notice, sometimes for service, I'm in that back area trying to get into a zone and stuff. And while I was in my zone, I was like, oh my gosh, this summer, it'll be 20 years of me directing choirs. Ain't that something? God is good. God is good. My little 13 year old self. <laughs> So really, here's how I do things, okay? I go by sections, all right? Um, the melody is gonna go to the lower voices. Jay's gonna sing that. I'm gonna sing the middle. Mariah's gonna do the top, okay? And what we're gonna do is that we're gonna build. We're gonna build on the parts and the harmony so you can hear them. Cool? Okay. Mm, so you go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Stop right there. That's good. That's good. Now I'm going to give you the other part. Now, for the higher harmonies, okay, for everybody, praise God from whom all, that's all in unison. That means you sing the same note, and we break it up into harmonies at blessings. Turn to your neighbor and say, break it up at blessings. Okay, and moving on. I still want you to sing that melody and then I'm gonna add the next part higher, okay? Praise God from who? And then this next part will go. Blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. Good, let's do that much one more time. And praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
beautiful. Now we're going to add the higher one, okay? Praise God from everybody. All blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Money. Okay, next part. Praise God above ye heavenly hosts. I'm warmed up so I can't hear high notes. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay, sing that with me, Melody folks. Praise God above ye. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay, now we're going to add two parts, okay? Praise God above ye heavenly Y'all got it, all three parts. Praise God above ye heavenly host. Get up there on that praise. Praise Father, good Son and Holy Ghost. Take it from the top all together. You ready? Break it up. may you know and trust the story of God who is Father and Son and Spirit. And may you know and trust that you are a part of it. May we continue to meet the unfolding grace and peace of our God in this world, trusting that the story is still being written with us. 
May grace and peace be with you. Amen. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.